Hello, and welcome to Unsheathed with your hosts, Kyle Gold and Cam Hirosaki. We hope that you enjoy the program. Please stick around afterwards. There'll be cake and blowjobs. Hi, and welcome to another episode of Unsheathed. We're at number nine, number nine, number nine. <laughs> you know, I was waiting for you to do that. I just sort of knew that that's what was going to come out of your mouth. Well, it was frighteningly appropriate, seeing as how we've been playing Beatles rock band for the last few days. That's true. What's funny is I wasn't even considering that. I was just thinking number nine, and that's what always comes to my head when I hear that. Yeah, which, even though it's kind of not a really great song, it's at least warmed its way into our consciousness. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's memorable, I guess you can say. It is, uh, and I'm very glad they did not include that one on the rock band. I don't think I would buy it if it was available for download. I don't think that's really playable in a rock band <laughs> format. I think it would be fun to try yeah, for but about a minute. I was going to say, like, fa- failing at anything that you try to do is never fun. <laughs> uh, I should have a better retort to that. But anyway, I am uh, Kyle Gold. And I'm Kame Hirasaki. I've decided that uh, you're going to get the new and improved, more mellow and outgoing and casual Kame Hirasaki because we got this really bitchy review on iTunes. I don't know if you saw it or not. No, I haven't. Where somebody was talking about that I'm so monotone that I put them to sleep. Wow. And I'm just like, all right, it's like, you shut your whore mouth, first of all. And (laughs) second of all, obviously the person who wrote the review had only listened to, like, the first episode. It's like, okay, yeah, the first episode of a new podcast. It's like, all right, don't write a review of it now, you douche. Wait until you, the people have you know, settled into a rhythm. But no. And well, they if also... he's listening to this one, then he, you know, he's gone already. So Yeah, well, you know, if he hasn't made it nine episodes in, then you know, choke on a dick. And that's not a blowjob <laughs> reference. That's just me being spiteful. Um, wow, what's in your wine this evening? Um, you know, it's funny. I was going to note that I am both drinking wine and eating grapes, which you'd think is redundant. But, and I should be the one eating grapes. You or maybe you're be. just holding them out of my reach. I they're am. sour, aren't they? That Actually, no, they're delicious. Damn it. The wine is a bit on the sour side, but in a good way. But no, this person also said that it didn't sound like we had any basic idea of how writing even works. And I thought it was kind of interesting that we have haters. Wow. Well, yeah. That's good. We've, we've arrived. Kind yeah. Of. If, we, if we have haters, then that, that's how you know that we do it. But no. Yeah. So that's my... My new sort of resolution is to be a bit more casual and laid back because I know that that affects how I speak. I think that's an outgrowth of how I'm just used to interacting with people in general. Whenever I email people, like when readers write into me and I write back, I always have this very professional tone that I take, which as you know, knowing me in person, you know that's not how I act and talk. You know I'm very silly and flighty and otterish. Oh, that's uh, very true. Of course. And, uh... No, it's, it's funny, actually, one time I had been talking to an artist about a commission at one point, and we had gone back and forth several times, and then I spoke to them online, just chatting over some messenger, and one of the first things they said after just a few minutes was, wow, like, you do not act at all like you come across when, you know, when we were setting up this commission. I'm like, well, you know, because you are somebody who's providing a service, I'm a customer, I'm, I have a degree of professionalism, and, you know, now we're just talking, and that's different. Well, and I think that... Uh, we both we both try to come off as a little more professional when we're in our writing personas because we take our writing very seriously and we approach it in a professional manner. So, if that's um, true, if we're 
if we're just like, oh yeah, I write, I write about foxes with dicks, and you know, then, <laughs> you know, what does that say about us? I mean, I, I I take pride in my writing, and I I want to, even if I'm not, you know, Stephen King and J.K. Rowling, I want to at least approach my writing with as much professionalism as they do. Yeah, and I'm not saying I'm going to be unprofessional. I just don't want to sound monotone and put people to sleep. Well, so we're sitting here in the room with you, and we haven't gone to sleep yet. So that's right. And you know, if, if people fall asleep, I have ways of waking them up. <laughs> Was that a blowjob reference? It might be. We'll see if there's more over the rest of the course of the episode, and we can let our readers decide. Uh, that might have to count as as the one. But um, I, I believe we have a few letters, and our, our, our theme for today seems to be actually approaching writing professionally because uh, all the letters we have today are all about um, really sort of in-depth serious writing topics so let's um let's get going with this yeah i'll get right into that this first one is from november he says dear kyle and hirasaki i just want to interject it's november the character not it not it was sent to us back in november which you would have to be eerily prescient to have sent a letter to the podcast back then or in possession of a time machine Depending on which year. 1985. <laughs> Go ahead and read. Okay. So, dear Kyle and Hirasaki, you two are doing a fantastic service to the fandom by running an all-writing podcast. Thank you I for hope... the ego stroke. Yeah. <laughs> now that was a reference. Uh, I hope this influences fans and writers alike to recognize the importance of literature within the fandom. And I hope so, too. Okay. I have a rather long question. In the third episode, Hirosaki said that you guys almost never specifically call up the fact that you're talking about anthropomorphic characters in your stories because this fact is implied within the fandom. In the process of anthropomorphizing, a lot of animalistic attributes, like senses of smell and hearing, have been lost or greatly detracted. Certain aspects of this fantasy, such as foxes being universal tail raisers, have overwritten the characterizations from myths and fables, such as foxes being smart and cunning thieves. They could be smart, cunning, and thieving tail raisers too, though. Which is true. That's not mutually exclusive. That actually brings up another point I'll get to later. But continuing on. While authors like yourselves have developed complex characters as well as maintaining the classical roles of various species, most short publications do not. As mass consumption increases, does writing within the fandom face the loss of these roles, which are an integral part in establishing the foundations of anthropomorphism? Then he says, I missed the opportunity to meet Hirosaki at AC, but I'm certainly glad to hear that he'll be attending MFF in November. And there we go. That's <laughs> your confusion there. It shouldn't be long before he, too, starts receiving invitations to be guest of honor. Which, that's, that's, a, that's a sweet thought. I, I'm not sure if I'm going to be getting a guest of honor invite anywhere anytime soon, but thank you for the the emotional support and the converse ego stroke. Yeah, the ego stroke on the way in and the ego stroke on the way out. Coming and going. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so what's your what's your take on that? I mean, I think that's a really interesting question. Is The, the fandom really sprung from this anthropomorphic culture that existed for centuries. I mean, this goes back to, you know, Aesop and before that. Yeah. Where animals have these characteristics and... Aesop is actually probably one of the very first that we're aware of because what he did is mapped human character traits onto animals. So foxes being cunning and not trustworthy but clever, those became shorthand for that kind of person. 
Right. Um, wolves being just sort of rapacious gluttons, again, became a shorthand for that kind of person. Um, How did and, badgers become synonymous with stubborn old people? Because badgers are stubborn old people. <laughs> All of them. Yeah. Um, no, they just behave that way, actually, in real life. It's Do they just, really? Yeah, they're, they they amble along kind of slowly, and they look grumpy, and they'll snap at you and growl, and they're just not friendly. Yeah, but don't skunks do that? Uh, skunks actually kind of just, they walk around, but they have that tail, and the, the tail gives them a sort of different air, a little more jaunty. But they also kind of walk around like they don't give a crap. Hmm. I mean, badgers walk around like they're annoyed that you're there. Skunks just kind of walk around like they don't like you know they don't care if you're there or not. See, that would be an interesting thing to put into a story now. Uh, just you know, I'm imagining like this like you know skunk at this party who seems to not even understand that there's a party going on or something <laughs> along those lines. I see. I'm I'm thinking about what would happen if a skunk married a badger and how screwed up the kids would be. But <laughs> I don't care about you. But if I did, I'd hate you. Um, but yeah, no, getting back to the question here, and I, I do think that that's interesting because even when you think fandom stereotypes, even those have changed over the decades. If yeah, you look at true. that, I think that previously when it came to foxes, you had more the dumb vixen stereotype before you had the gay tail raising male fox stereotype really come into the forefront. And even the, the gay male tail raising fox has gone um changed a little bit from you know i'll just lift my tail for anything to um a, being a little bit more like the sly like yeah i'll lift my tail for anything but i'm gonna make sure i get something out of it and i'm gonna make sure i have fun doing it as right. opposed to just like and then just the lifting your tail for anything has gone to huskies yes yeah Actually, the one bit that really strikes me about the question, which was one of the first things I latched onto, was he specifically mentions short publications not sort of adhering to the roles and what they publish. And that's interesting to me because I associate fandom stereotypes more with stories that you read online, ones that aren't published. I think that yeah. the stories I do see published tend to be a less fandomish in the way that they're written, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I, and I'd agree with that. Um, I, I think I do think it's interesting that you mentioned short publications, and that stuck out to me as well, um, because where these stereotypes and characterizations are most useful is in short publications, where you don't have a lot of time to build up complex characters right. and make them real. You you need those shorthands. You need those shortcuts. You need to say, you know, Jake was a fox, and you know. Like all foxes, he liked a good time and knew how to get it. Yeah, I mean, and I've written entire stories based around the fandom stereotype of foxes always being bottomy. And you have that sort You've of. You've written more than one, I believe. Oh, I can at least think of one. There, there's, there's the one where it's basically that's the entire gist of the story, and I can't say more about it without giving it away. Right, and I, I mean, for my own part, I tend to avoid stereotypes and classifications of species like that uh i i'll allow characters in my stories to have them like i think in out of position there's some uh, charm the horse tells bunny jokes 
Right. Which are basically blonde jokes, but about bunnies. Um, sorry, Istanbul. <laughs> but, uh, but in general, I don't usually put into the narrative that those stereotypes are true. I don't, I try not to color my own world that way. Um, and, you know, out of position simply addresses the fact that the different species have different physical characteristics right. and, you know, a bear is going to be a lot better at just standing in someone's way and a fox is going to be better at running and getting something. Right. And to that point, I think that you do similar things with your Argea stories mm-hmm. where you have the, you know, species differentiation along societal, not societal roles, but more just societal adaptations that they might have. Yeah, that's true, actually. The whole circle of uh, kings in Tifos was... Mm-hmm. Um, there, there's there's sort of a progression to it about, um, you know, this kind of... This branch of the church tends toward this kind of behavior. Like, Canids tend towards bringing people together. Uh, Felids are very much more about uh, being solitary but doing, you know, outward things. Uh, a couple of the other ones were more about rebuilding and building up structure. So it was sort of a, the way it was set up, it was, and I didn't probably think it out as well as I could have, but the way it was set up was that the kingdom goes through phases. Where like some phases you'll have people just, you know, we're not going to do anything outside. We're going to be very isolationist and build up our, you know, our agriculture and our infrastructure. And then uh, other phases are we're going to go explore, we're going to go, do stuff that's more like a feline phase out go out and explore and then the canid phase is you know and so on and so forth right and Val himself actually tops people from time to time so he can't be a fandom stereotype fox that's very true although i don't get the impression that he tops streak uh i believe he does at least once in the narrative does he i believe so i'm trying to rem- it's been many years since i've read those so i'm not sure i should go back and reread those actually uh, I'm. I would say that there's plenty of other. I'm sure there are there plenty of people listening here who have read those books multiple times who will be able to tell us right as they're listening. They probably already know which scene you're probably talking about. Yeah. Well, I, I'm a little embarrassed, but I always, I always wondered why I would know more about some of my favorite books than the authors would. But honestly, at this point, it's been probably, um, I want to say like five years since I write, wrote Pendant. Yeah. And probably at you would least... finish writing it right before i met you yeah and at least four since i read it in any form so. yeah because once i write a story it's out of my head yeah exactly like, that's that's why i write it to get it out of my head well, there's scenes that i remember yeah but, um if you would ask me some specific things that's why it was funny we were at camp Farrell and i was supposed to come up with some trivia questions about my books and i thought man any trivia question i come up with anyone who's read the books more recently than i have will almost certainly get it yeah um, but to get back to the question, um, I think I, I'm not I'm not necessarily worried about um, about losing the roles. No, neither am I. I think they served a good purpose in history, and I think if people want to use them, they're there to be used, and they're recognizable. And you can, I mean, they're they're ingrained in culture. If you go up to someone, anyone on the street who's not a furry and say, um, you know, if you were to call a, a human 
if you were to call me like a kind of bearish kind of guy, what would that say to you? And they would immediately think, well, you know, kind of big, kind of powerful, kind of slow. Um, if you were to call me a fox, what would that mean? These these roles are in our culture, and they're not really going anywhere. Yeah, because they're they're part of culture and they're part of language. Yes, and actually, also. So at that point, it becomes harder to extricate it. I think in terms of writing stories, because he specifically mentions literature, and I'm thinking about things like longer works. And in that case, if you're using stereotypes and predefined roles, that's only going to hold you back. If every novel that comes out that's written, you know, with furry characters in mind has to have, okay, foxes are like this, badgers are like this, that's just going to cripple the writing. It's going to cripple the form. Well, the way you use that is you you always play against type. Yeah. So, like, you have the the badger who's friendly and outgoing and light and bubbly, and um, you have the fox that's sullen and asexual, and um, yeah, I don't know. You have the bunny who's a PhD, maybe. <laughs> I'm going to school for for you know astrophysics. Um, but yeah, I. I I don't see those roles persistent in the fandom, but I'm not sure that's a problem. And I guess that's my take on it. Yeah, and the fandom itself has at least moved past uh, skunkettes as the big thing, and I think that we're all better off for that. Yeah. Now, I think the question that does lead up to is, if we don't have those differentiations of species, then what is the point to making the stories about anthropomorphic characters? But... I'm not. I think that in that case, there's certainly room for the author to interpret that how they want, even if, because, you know, in Japanese culture, a fox means something different than it does in Western culture. Right. And that sort of thing. Also, there are animals that are commonplace in other cultures that aren't in Western, in just between cultures. The animals that you just sort of see and think of off the top of your head, like your quote unquote common animals versus what you know, is exotic, depending on where you live, that list of things changes. Yep. Um, yeah, and I, I agree. I think people have shown enough in enough creativity and imagination in the way that they deal with their furry characters that, um, and, and yeah, there's always going to be some stories that don't need the anthropomorphism, but I think... And it's still hot, though. It is. <laughs> if that's and what that's you're going what for. If that's what you're going for. Right. Uh, okay. Well, we can move on. And uh, November or anyone, if you have a follow-up question, send it on in. Uh, because yeah. I think this is one. Send of the... a follow-up to that if you have one, because this is you, we could talk about this for hours. Yeah, literally. seriously. This is. I mean, in terms of what separates this from just a write and podcast, uh, this whole furry question is something that we could just do hours and hours on end. Yeah, I mean we've and continued have. yeah i mean there there are and always have been you know discussions and you know panels and news groups that talk about the why of furry and we haven't exhausted that over years and years we're not gonna exhaust that on a podcast yeah it's nice to know we'll have plenty to talk about for weeks and months and years to come yeah and plenty to write about exactly yeah um all right so our second letter this was um this is from one of my uh, one of my fans that I've been corresponding with for uh, a few years now, and he writes, 
Uh, you're one of several writers I've read who advises against plotting a story too heavily, as this deprives the characters of the chance to express themselves naturally. So you start a story without any idea how it's going to end, then you write, 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 you run into a few surprises along the way, and somehow everything magically resolves at the finish. Then there are other writers I've read, some of them aspiring ones, who place their emphasis on structure, preferring to plot everything out in advance before setting the story on paper. So they start out with an idea, then they plot, 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 and they breeze through the writing phase because every detail, every fear, every sudden twist and turn has been planned out in advance. So there's very little to worry about in the writing or editing. And surprisingly enough, they come out with decent results. So is your advice then geared towards the more experienced writers? Does freedom in writing of the characters necessarily detract from the overall structure of the piece, read scattered all over the place? If so, would it be inadvisable for a less experienced writer to approach his writing with this mindset? Is there a point where you consider it safe for a developing writer to abandon the crutch of plot, or is it one of those techniques which must be adopted as early as possible? This is, of course, excluding research and all the other factual prerequisites to writing stories. Or have I instead horribly, tragically misinterpreted something in either perspective that this whole series of questions has suddenly been rendered invalid and nonsensical? So I am going to go to what uh, NotTube said when he was on here, when they were we were talking about the bashers and swoopers, and say that what we have here is a description of two extremes, and that most writers are going to fall somewhere in the middle between these two. Yep. Um, it's certainly not the case that I don't plot out anything in advance whenever I write something, but I also don't make all of it up as I go along. Uh, the example he gives at the beginning was you don't heavily pre-plot it and then says, so you start writing without any idea of how it's going to end. And that's certainly not true, at least when I write. In fact, the ending is usually one of the first things I think of. Yeah, and that's the same with me. I mean, I find that I always have to have an endpoint yeah. if um, if the story's going to go anywhere. Um, the one that, and I'm going to always talk about the things that I'm writing right now, uh, that was a problem, actually, with the story that I'm working on right now. And it's a it's novel-length book. And it I didn't... I had kind of an end point in mind, but I didn't have the whole character arc done. So I kind of knew what was going to happen, but I didn't really know what that meant for the characters, for the main character. Like, what's his journey? How? What does he learn over the course of the story and get into that point? And... What uh, what I ended up doing was I had started writing because the characters I knew what the starting point was and I kind of knew what direction they were going, like what kind of things happened. But this has been kind of weird because there's a lot of different little branches and directions that I can go. So I've sort of been exploring a few of those as I've been writing. But then I went off on one branch and I wrote about this in my journal and suddenly realized that that branch was taking me down a dead end. Mm. That I had gotten to this point and I'm like, well... Where where do I go from here? And I realized that that branch, I had to come back along it and take it in a different direction. And what it actually made me do is sit down and spend four hours just writing out all the highlights of what was going to happen in the book. Um, So I really, I did kind of plot it out in advance. Yeah, with me, I will often come up, if not the end point of the story... I'll at least come up with what note I want it to end on. And what I don't know about the plot is the exact steps that get there. Mm-hmm. 
uh, frequently at least. And I think it depends on the story. Sometimes I go, okay, I'll write to see what happens and figure out how I get to the end. And sometimes there is this sort of freedom to just sort of surprise yourself on where things go. And then sometimes you just start writing and you just think this is all aimless and rambling and this sucks and I hate it. And you have to start over again. And I find that the whole allowing it to surprise you with where it goes works much better with short stories. Yeah, absolutely. When you start a short story, you can just say, hey, I've got these characters in this interesting situation. And what I want to know is where do they go from there? And, you know, I want to know it, so I'm just going to write it till it happens, and then it'll get somewhere or it won't. And I've had short stories that didn't go anywhere, and I just never finished them. There are, and I don't want to always bring this back to, and this is how they do things in Japan. Uh, for for series in Japan where they have a preset length of story where it has to fit, like, a format, either, like, a certain number of episodes or whatnot, you can really tell the ones that are made up as they go along. And then the ones where, okay, we're two episodes from the end, now we got to figure out how to wrap it up. And you know that there was no overarching design yeah. philosophy behind it. Yeah. And it really shows. Yeah. Uh, and what, what I was going to say is I don't... Uh, I do know... I remember in one of our um, writing classes, and I'm not sure if this was one you were in or not, but the uh, instructor was talking about somebody that he knew, and this person would literally sort of work out the entire story in his head before he committed anything to paper. This was back in the days of paper. And he said, as an example of this, he called he called him up one time and he could hear the typewriter going in the background and said, oh, I'm sorry, I don't mean to disturb you. Are you right? And the guy's like, no, 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 it's okay. You can talk. I'm just typing. <laughs> I do. Re- yes, I was in that class. And that I thought that was great. I mean, it was just, you know, he at that point he wasn't writing anymore. He wasn't devoting any mental energy to anything except transcribing what already was in his head. I wish I could do that. I don't. In a way, I do. Because it would make the writing part very tedious. Uh, I mean... It's... I'm just bad at multitasking, and the idea that I could get two things done at the same time appeals to me. I think you'd lose time elsewhere. But um, what I what I usually end up doing with like long form, which, which seems to be this question is directed more towards long form, mm. is um, I tend to start out and I have an idea, like with Shadow of the Father, I knew what uh, Yolan's journey was going to be. And so I just kind of started out writing and let the narrative take shape as it went along because I knew every time I came to a decision point, I said, I know that it needs to go in this direction. It needs to go in this direction. It needs to go in this direction. And that worked really well for that book. Um, the one I'm working on now, it's... Uh, Shadow Shadow was like a highway. There were very few exits. It was very direct, very focused. This is more like a parking lot. <laughs> there's just there's lanes, and I can go in lanes, and I can go through parking spaces when there's nobody there, and it's it really scattered, and I'm really enjoying it because it has so much more freedom attached to it, and. I really enjoyed sitting down for three or four hours and plotting it out because I got to imagine all these things that were going to happen. And then when I get to write it, I get to go through that again because not all the stuff that I imagined and wrote down as part of the plot is actually going to happen. Um, There's a couple key events that that I know are going to happen. Um, But mostly I just want touchstones. 
so right. that or sort of like you know how when you're in the wilderness and you're trying to find your way with a compass what you're supposed to do is take a sight and on something kind of as far away as you can see and say you know okay that tree with the two dead branches that's at true north and that's the direction i'm heading so i'm going to walk to that tree and then i'll take another reading from there and that's kind of what i'm doing with these plot points as i'm saying I know I want to go in this direction, and this event is in that direction, so I'm just going to write to that event, and then once I get there, I'll refocus. Five-minute rest stop, bake for blowjob. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Wow, that was random. (laughs) The other thing about the... uh, Blowjobs are never random. Actually, that's not true at all. Uh, The other thing that I just want to touch on before we finish up with this is where he says, uh, mentions about experienced writers being able to leave behind the crutch of plot. And I don't think I think of plotting as a crutch at all. I think it's a natural thing to do when, you know, you're planning a story and writing. And I certainly don't agree with any assertion that writing that does just sort of come from the moment that isn't preplanned is somehow more pure and more of a higher artistic value because of that. I don't think that's true. Yeah. And I I think, uh, I hadn't. We hadn't gotten to the part with, where we give advice, but my advice is the same advice we gave with the episode with Not Tube, which is uh, do whatever works for you. Yeah, and I think that even what we've talked about here is that it's not even just a person by person basis, but even a story to story basis, it's going to differ. Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, Shadow of the Father was almost completely plot, and that was why that was one of the things I was trying to do with it because it made for a quicker, more energetic story. And you wrote that very quickly, too. Uh, I did. I am very jealous. <laughs> uh, we'll see how that goes with the current novel. It's not quite going along at the same pace, but I'm going to try to, um, to try to get it done in the fall because there is a particular aspect of the fall that is very conducive to writing this particular novel. And that let that be a hint for the rest of you. Yeah, I don't think it's I don't think it's that subtle a hint. I think people will be able to pick up on it pretty well. Uh, I don't know. I think that with some of the uh, listener and reader base, that might go right over their heads. Maybe. Oh, potentially. But I've also talked about the project on my journal, so I'm I'm kind of. Uh, but anyway, there's no prize for guessing it. But um, speaking of speaking of prizes, uh, oh, we have been. No, there's no prize for this either, except that we get to use it, but. Uh-huh. Um, we've been talking with a couple people who feel that our intros are very abrupt and disorienting that when you start listening to the podcast it's just we start talking out of nowhere and so um, bam otter in your face <laughs> sorry wow now that was a blowjob reference that is that oh what <laughs> 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 You did not just do that. You did. You did. You totally did. Well, I am a fox. Oh my god. Um, but at any rate, the um, the whole uh, the whole idea. We talked to a couple friends of ours who do music about creating some musical bumpers, and um, the suggestions have ranged from kind of a masterpiece theater thing to sort of a more, you know, death metal, furry erotica writing theme. Um, and what someone suggested was hey, why don't we toss it open to our listeners and see if anyone out there can come up with a um, 15 to 20 second intro, outro music we could use for the podcast. So uh-huh. 
if you are of the creative bent in a musical uh, fashion and feel like trying your paw at a theme for our podcast, uh, drop us a line at the Gmail address. Yes, which is unsheathedpodcast at gmail.com. And we also now have an account up on FA, which is just called Unsheathed. Yeah, we're, we're cleverly hidden. Yes. Or cleverly not hidden, as the case may be. Yeah, or maybe so, I was joking. Maybe that's my revenge for your Rainforest Archery Track comment last time. <laughs> well, you know. Uh, so send your questions to the Gmail account or as private messages on FA. Um, as always, if you do send them to us individually, they, they'll get to the podcast, but it's easier for us to keep track of them if you send them to the podcast account. Yes, to the, the group brain. Um, and I think Kit is warning us that we are out of time, so I'll have to save the last question for the next one, I think. Yeah, which is another open-ended one, which I think we'd want more time for anyway, as yeah. I think of it. Maybe Unless we, we just want to give it a half-assed answer, which I think would be mean. Yeah, I don't think so. We're all about using our, our whole ass here at Unsheathed. Exactly. Um, and I think we could get not too back for that one, too, because I think this is the kind of question that he would enjoy That's right up referring his to. Right up his muzzle. It is right up his muzzle. <laughs> Otter in the face. <laughs> Otter right in the face. Otter in the face. You know, all that needs is an androgynous robot fox to make it complete. Oh, now I have the missing element from my uh, that story. If Pyro Stinger's not writing that one, I'm going to now. There you go. Otter ejaculating all over the face of an androgynous robot fox. And uh, speaking of androgynous robot foxes, I'm just going to say in closing that we saw a preview for the movie Surrogates lately, and that I really do regret the lack of androgynous robot foxes in that movie. It's rife with possibilities for them. There's it, an opportunity right there. So much wasted. I know. George Clooney can be a ro- can be a fox. Why can't Bruce Willis? Ooh, I think Bruce Willis would be a sexier fox than George Clooney. Actually, I think you would better reconsider that position. I think he could be. I didn't say he necessarily would be. Well, we'll we'll let our listeners decide. Would Bruce Willis or George Clooney be a sexier fox? I'm throwing that open. Okay, and, and uh, we'll uh, we'll tally some votes. Vote on, uh, I don't know, We'll maybe we'll toss something up um, somewhere and for people to vote. If not, just send us messages. Okay, I'm almost worried what sort of response we're going to get on that. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> but uh, put, Please put more effort into the musical bumpers than you do about the who would make a better fox. <laughs> Prioritize. Yes, indeed. We're all about organization. We're we asking a lot of our listeners this episode. Give back to those who give to the community or something. Yeah, something like that. All right. Well, thank you again for listening. We're overjoyed to have spent this last half hour with you. Yes, and uh, we will hopefully see some of you at Rainforest. Though by the time any of you listen to us, this you'll we'll probably already be there. Yeah, I'll probably go up Wednesday night or Thursday or something. Okay. Uh, I will not be at Rainforest until Friday night late-ish. Yeah. Um, but Hirosaki-san, I believe, will um, be there the entire time. I will be there the whole time. I'm getting in the day before, so I will be all set. Uh, you'll be able to spot me fairly easily. I actually have a pretty uh, garish way of spotting me. I have this bright, translucent green casino visor that I will be wearing. Awesome. So. If, you know, if the slick brown fur and whatnot doesn't give it away. Right. 
and the I'm not going to go any further with that. I'm just going to say, looking forward to seeing y'all at Rain First. Uh, now I'm looking forward to the con a bit more too. After that, and uh, apparently, I have a lot in store for me. <laughs> oh, if only you knew. Again, this is but we. You have to surprise yourself sometimes, like when you're telling a story. Yeah, exactly. Give the listeners what they expect and surprise them at the same time. Uh, okay, I can't come up with anything to say that isn't going to dig me deeper into this hole, so yeah. I have been... Also, you're out of wine, so I believe I'm out should... of wine, I know. We'll, uh, we'll... I had less wine tonight than I do most nights we record. Uh, that's true, actually. Yeah. But, um, again, I'll go back to my outro. Thank you all for listening. I apologize that we don't have any pretty bumper music to soothe you out of the unsheathed mindset but we're working on it i could sing one for you but i don't have enough that i can come up with that isn't copyrighted yeah i think we better not yeah but um good night i'm kyle gold i'm cam hirasaki and this has been unsheet number nine number nine number nine